Hello and welcome to the third Heart of the Hulk podcast of the season in partnership with Fansbet. My name is Ryan Pitcher and today I'll be joined by Dom Phillips. And what a glorious show we have in store for you. What with the Villa securing their first Premier League points of the campaign the other evening. Get in there you Villa boys. Let's get into it. Firstly, thank you, Dom, for joining me today. Uh, your first appearance of many on the podcast, I'm sure. Now, let's cast our minds back to Friday Night Football and Villa Park under the floodlights and a truly brilliant performance from the lads. You have to say it was an outstanding rear action from the Villa with some classy counter-attacking football. Firstly, it just goes to show by stripping it back and keeping things simple and cutting out those mistakes. It just, it just helps all around, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I thought compared to Everton, we looked like the Premier League team. While they played good football, we were clinical with our chances, which we struggled with in the first two games. And we continued our defensive solidarity whilst Everton, you know, they missed the chances with, I think it was Iwobi who hit the post and um, they had Walcott Sky one right in the last minute, just when you thought we'd bottled away the three points. I mean, we stroked the ball around at the end of the first half after our goal. We looked excellent. The counter-attacking play, as you mentioned, was really good, wasn't it? I mean, I just thought we soaked up the pressure, but then we we were lethal on the break. Dean Smith was agreeing, was saying that in his press conference as well. Yeah, Mings I mean, and... you would say that. Um, I mean, Mings and Engels, I think you were just about to say, were, yeah. were brilliant at the back. But uh, Frederick Gilbert on the right, he just seemed to offer so much more than... Um, than what Elmo did in the first two games with his overlapping runs. It wasn't always found uh, by any stretch, but yeah. it just seemed to open up a lot of the space. Yeah, he offered a different dynamic, didn't he? He did a lot of overlapping runs, some of them decoy. I think it really helped Wesley because when he runs past Hotter, Hotter has the space to move inside and then Wesley can play off Hotter. So he he looked really good, really quick. Lots of confidence, ambition. He even went for goal at one point from outside the box, which I actually quite liked. You know, yeah. he, he, looks, he looks like he's going to be a really good right back. A couple of really good tackles as well on the right flank. Hotter looked and- really good as well. His vision was good. His work rate was high. I think it's a great partnership building between those two. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would agree. And I know over the uh, previous two podcasts is um, we've put, put Neil Taylor in the spotlight on the left-hand side. And, you know, arguably, you'd have to say if, if Matty Target was to come in on the left side, you would expect similar sort of synergy yeah. uh, than what uh, as to what Frederick Gilbert offered on the right. Um, do you see maybe uh, Target coming in, in, in over the coming weeks? I don't think Target will come in next week because we've won. But I do. I would like to see Target in, I think. If you think about the wingers, El Ghazi played the first two games in front of Taylor and looked poor in both. Trezeguet is now just played in front of Taylor and had his worst game. I think it's no coincidence that Taylor doesn't offer anything go forward. While he's, a, he's played the best football of his time at Villa defensively, I don't think he offers enough going forward. And with our style of play, with the fact that we need to go and get goals in the Premier League, it's not going to be as easy. We need all the help we can get up top. I do think that Matty Target, as you say, building that synergy with our left winger is going to be huge for us. And I really can't wait to see him play. Yeah, it always seems that we're criticising Neil Taylor. And and I really want to kind of put that myth to bed. It's not that we're criticising Taylor at all. He's just, you know, I'd arguably say, you know, he's he's probably our most improved player. I don't think he was going to get much of a, much game time this season whatsoever. But, you know, he just, Defensively, he's done. He's done a sound job. Just going forward, it's just not quite working out. 
No, he's he's, ne- he's never been like that. Even in the championship, he wasn't effective going forward. And that's you know that's not the style of fullback that he wants to be. Fair enough, but I just it doesn't suit the style of play that we play now under Dean Smith. And I think the target needs to come in to rectify that. But fair sure. play to Taylor because he's worked hard these last three games and put in a good shift defensively. And as I say, we're not criticising Taylor. We're just recognising that his ceiling, especially going forward, is not at the same height that Matt targets is and not the same height that we need it to be if we want to keep winning games. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that assessment. And and I, I know that both you and I, um, we did talk about potentially changing shape. I know that you wrote an article about it. I've tweeted about it. I was looking at a more of a 3-5-2 and potentially similar to, I think you were looking at more of a 5-3-2 and almost combining that, um, bearing in mind uh, in terms of what transition we were in. So going forward as a 3-5-2 when we were under the cosh, maybe a 5-3-2. Now, at the minute, obviously, Dino's still going with this 4-3-3. Now, my only concern with it is against better sides, against the Man Cities and against the Liverpools, is we could be a little bit overexposed. There were certain periods of the game, both against Bournemouth and against Everton, where we just looked a little bit vulnerable in between the defence and the midfield and there was a yeah. bit of space opening up um, what, what, what would you say with regards to shape are, are you happy with a 4-3-3 three, three, or would you like to see it mixed up I think we could use 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 whatever at different points in the season such as the Liverpool and Man City the top well Tottenham away we've already done but you know what I mean the Liverpool and Man City away having five at the back could be helpful in just building a bit more defensive solidarity that we can then use to bring on a counter because that is that is the style of play that we will use against big teams who've shown it already. So I think 4-3-3 is a great formation for when you're at home, playing against a beatable team, you're going all night for the win, you're going all guns by and you're going to control the game. Excellent. Yeah. And it's a system that's worked for us in the past. But in the Premier League, you'd have to adapt to your opposition a lot more than you do in the Championship. You can't just focus on your own game so much. And obviously Wolves, but they started shakily... Um, 18-19 season and then they switched from 3-4-3 to 3-5-2 and you know they're excellent so yeah. I, I think that if we tinker with our system a little bit I think that could do us a world of good. Yeah no absolutely I mean we haven't even touched upon Wesley yet who was obviously absolutely no. sensational really um, an old school number nine performance you know bringing in yeah. players off of him. I know when we talked about shape previously you know I was a little bit concerned that there just wasn't enough going on around him hence why you know having a second forward alongside him I just thought would you know bring him into the game a little bit more but maybe in hindsight maybe I got it wrong it was just a bit more about playing towards his strengths like we did against Everton yeah but at the same time playing directly is in our system so we need to find that middle ground but he does I've got to say with Wesley I've criticized in the last two games and I think I have done so fairly because he hasn't shown much but that's also because he hasn't had enough support and I think that Friday night he played excellently. His movement was so much better. He was staying on his feet a lot more. He had more people, to be fair to them, were giving him more options. He got his goal. It was a really well-taken goal. Good run, good finish. He created the second as well by laying in McGinn to set up Anwar for the winner. Honestly thought that, you know, man of the match. He seems oh, yeah, to be yeah. coming good. I, I said he, he'll need time to adapt. And after a couple of games, it seems like, the cogs are starting to work within his head. And, you know, I think I saw on Instagram this morning, a fan said, oh, sorry for doubting you. He said, oh, it's okay, just keep the faith. And that's it. As Villa fans, we've got to keep the faith in yeah. Wesley. He's never played in a league as fast and as physical as this. In a low... He's always played in a 3-5-2. He's never played as a lone striker. So I think to, you know, get off the mark already and show against Everton that he does have quality, that's a great start for him. And it can only do wonders for his confidence. 
No, I would agree. But I mean, going to going into the game itself is, you know, it could have been very much a different tale if if Everton had have taken their chances. I'm not trying to, you know, talk down the way that Villa performed by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, they, they did have a couple of chances. I mean, it, I guess it's quite fortunate that Walcott is still the same Walcott that we all know and love and he can't find the back of the net and he's just got no end product. I mean, yeah, I mean, Everton... I wouldn't say they should have won, but for lot, I wouldn't say for for, for 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 periods of the game they were by far the better team and they were passing the ball around as they were, they, but they had nothing to show for it. At the end of the day in the Premier League, it's about who takes the chances. We took our chances and they didn't take theirs, and they're going to be, you know, Marco Silva can cry on a press conference about us having nine men around the back of the box. Sorry, mate, <laughs> you missed a couple of sitters. We took our chances. Yeah. We got what. You know, you're going for the top six. We're the underdog. We've it was a great result. You know, at the end of the day, as I say, we're the underdog and we've played well overall. Obviously, there were weaknesses. Sure. I thought the midfield left Douglas Louise exposed at times. Perhaps he didn't have the greatest game. He had a couple of decent tackles, but really, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably being a bit harsh on him. Obviously, he needs time, as they all do. But Jack wasn't. You know, Jack's taking his time as well. I just think, though, with the confidence now, we're going to see a different team next week. It's going to look different because we're going to have that confidence in us, that belief that we can win, we can score goals, and we can beat good teams. Yeah, I mean, I noticed um, with you just touched upon uh, Douglas Louis, who, I, as I say, as I still maintain, is is going to be a player. On Friday night, what I found particularly strange is because I was just, just expecting him to play extremely deep and playing a similar role to Bournemouth. Now, there were times, for example, um, I don't know whether you recall during our championship campaign, there were there were certain games where we were obviously playing three in the middle. And it's almost like uh, Jack, uh, McGinn, and also uh, Connor Hurahan, they almost kind of um, swapped roles in-game. Um, so one of them would go for the high press, one of them would sit in, almost like they were having a breather because obviously McGinn and Grealish do like to, you know, bomb on a little bit. And it's almost like every now and again they were talking to one another and like, let's let's sit in a little bit. And I noticed on Friday night, Douglas Louis, I don't know whether it was because he was tracking Gilfie Sigurdsson um, in particular, but... He started moving up a little bit. There was times where he was almost playing ahead of Wesley. Uh, I don't know whether you saw that, but... I don't know. I did, I did pick up on Douglas Dewey's pushing up more as the game went on. Mm. I just think that... Um, I think he's, you know, he's, he's coming and he said, oh, I'm going to be a leader in the midfield. I'd like to bring the ball out from the back. Fair enough. You play the way you want to play. When we need you to do those defensive duties, I don't like seeing Jack drop too deep because that's yeah. not his role. He play, that's what we did when Bruce at the start of last season he was dropping too deep and he, he stunted his game plan second half of last season he was playing much further forward because we had Whelan there for the majority of games obviously Hurrihan in the championship was able to do that to another extent as well I, I, I don't know about Luis he'll need, he'll need time he's an amazing talent he's younger than Callum O'Hare for God's sake and look at him now so he's an amazing talent I hope we keep holding him and I hope this buyback clause doesn't you know hurt us too badly as yes. long as we do you see Hurahan? Do you see Hurahan coming back in at all? I mean, a lot of fans were saying it was harsh for him to have been dropped uh, after the first game of the season. But do you do you see a, a spot for him in, in 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 the future? I mean, there's always going to be a spot for Hurahan because of how hard working he is and what kind of attitude he has. But I, I need to make clear my opinion on Hurahan. I don't like Connor Hurahan playing in between McGinn and Grealish because I don't think that's his natural role. We signed him from Barnes. He's an attacking midfielder. To play, to go and score goals, to go and create goals, and now suddenly we just, and then Bruce put him at the back in a four-two-three-one, next to Jedinak. 
I mean, that's not his role at the end of the day. Hurrihan isn't supposed to play deep and be a, a... isn't supposed to lie deep and make play from there. He's supposed to be up at Atom. The best Conor Hurrihan performance I've ever seen is Derby 4-0 at home, where he was playing in McGinn's role because he was suspended and he was outstanding because he was in yeah. more of his natural position. He had more of his natural duties. So I think Conor Hurrihan's amazing cover for McGinn and Grealish, especially how dangerous he's offset pieces. But I don't think that in that central role where we want him to, want him to lie deep and contribute defensively, I don't think that's the role for him. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have that strength and depth in, in the middle of the park there. Now, going back onto Friday night in terms of the atmosphere. Um, now, we all know that, obviously, uh, Villa Park has maxed out on season tickets with 30,000 sold. And uh, we've already had two sellouts for the for the first two home games of the season. And I'm expecting more of the same throughout the season, come rain or shine. And regardless of where we are uh, in terms of from a, a league position perspective, but the feel-good factor is there. Uh, just how important will the 12th man be this season? I mean, the Villa fans are back in full force, aren't they? They had one of the best atmospheres in the Championship last season, but Friday night was just a whole other level. It was the best I've seen it in years. I've spoke to family members who are at the game, and they said the best it's been since they've been going down. Like, it's amazing. Seeing Sweet Caroline at the end and everything, oh, it was beautiful to see, really. The optimism at the ground and the, the atmosphere, it only carries the players forward. It motivates them, it lifts them on. And I think we need yeah. that for every game. And yeah, I think... I mean, I- the fans will make that happen, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you've seen tweets from you know um, the, the, the two clubs, fans of the two clubs that have already travelled to Villa Park, Bournemouth, and Everton, yeah. and I've spoken to a few Bournemouth fans, um, you know, following uh, the week before's game, um, and you know, they've they've commented on, you know, it's arguably uh, they said that the loudest that they've they've seen at a Premier League ground for some time and that, oh, that, yeah. that includes Anfield and, and you know some of the notoriously uh, louder grounds Oh yeah definitely I mean we have one of the best grounds in the league by far because we're not an empty shell like a cinema like Tottenham Stadium is even though it's, you know, it's a nice modern stadium we, we, have, we have a ground with character history and quality so I, yeah. I think, and we have fans that will sing all game long now that we're back here because the faith is in the club because of how different we were compared to then yeah i think it's um I, you know i think it's fans also not taking premier league status for granted it's almost like we've had yeah. a real you know we're, we're, we're really grounded now um and and i think that's really telling in the atmosphere is you can almost tell like you know we've, we've been through a you know through some rocky years and yeah. you know that just galvanizes the club that is in a real real feel good factor uh, sort of mode now we're going to take a quick ad break but afterwards we're going to be visiting our new segment uh, called living in the past um, as well as discussing the carabao cup visit to crew as well as our next league opponents crystal palace and uh, possible other relegation candidates that's not to say villa are a relegation candidate but uh, i'm sure we might put palace in there despite their shock 2-1 win over manchester united on saturday um so yeah time for a quick ad break we'll see you in a minute As many of you will already be aware, Heart of the Holt is partnered with Fansbet, the betting company where 50% of its profits is shared with fan pages like ourselves. Heart of the Holt is a not-for-profit page and we don't make any money from sign-ups. Fansbet is just like any other high street betting company. The only difference being is that 50% of any losing bets that you place will be given to us to spend on fan initiatives. 
With this money, we were able to send dozens of underprivileged families to Villa Park last season and donate a large chunk of money to Project B6. The FansBet app is available to download on Apple or Android devices, and when registering, please select Heart of the Holt as your designated branch. Whilst we'd like our listeners who do enjoy a punt to sign up, we encourage all of you to gamble responsibly. You must be 18 years or over to register. Thank you very much. Okay, welcome back to part two of the pod, where it's now time for our new segment, uh, Living in the Past, where each week we'll take a look at stories surrounding former players, managers or custodians of the club. Uh, we're currently working on an interlude for this section to spruce it up a little bit. Uh, we are on budget. Uh, we are on a budget here at the Heart of the Holt uh, podcast. Um, so uh, from next week, we suspect we'll have a little uh, interlude uh, introduction into this segment. But for now, it's just me talking. Um, so we're going to have a little look into the comments made by former Newcastle forward Michael Chopra live on TalkSport last week in which he claims to have spoken to some senior players at Newcastle and uh, he's basically saying they don't know what their jobs are and they're not really working on their shape. Now just how tune is that statement from what we saw of Bruce Ball at Villa Dom? I mean it's it's just it's bread and butter isn't it? It's part and parcel of Steve Bruce. I mean at the end of the day we had a back four of Ahmed Al-Mohamedi a right back James Bree, a right back. James Chester, a centre back, and Alan Hutton, a right back, a left back. Like we never had any positional consistency. We struggled with injuries, but at the same time, we we let Tommy Alfit go out on loan at the start of last season. Who was one of our only fit centre backs? It was a, it was a joke. Any, I mean, and with Newcastle, it's carried on. You've got Arsenal, the first game of the season. Jetro Williams, the wing back, put him on in central midfield because Bruce didn't put a midfielder on the bench. It was outrageous. <laughs> the comments from Chopra don't surprise me. It's you know it's par for the course. We had no recognisable style of play. You, you like with nothing. There was nothing with Bruce. There was no organisation. There was no direction. There was, it, as you, I think you pointed out in an article a while ago, it was all about individual quality carrying us to a win. And seeing Newcastle yeah. in that same vein is must be horrific for their fans. I don't wish Steve Bruce upon any club, really. Yeah, I mean you touched upon that. I mean, yeah, you, you are right. Is um, I, I recall eight games in and obviously Villa were unbeaten under Bruce and, you know, fans were lording it up and he was almost like some kind of saviour. And I do recall writing an article and releasing it, basically critiquing the shape at the time and that long term uh, that this is not going to be good for Villa. And the fact are, uh, the fact was that we were relying upon individual quality and I got absolutely lambasted from the faithful for that. They were like, oh, you know, you should be enjoying it. Why are you moaning and, and stuff? But I'm a football person, you know, and I will talk about football all day, every day. And I'll give my uh, general analysis. Um, and, and, you know, but I mean, with, New- with, with Villa, I suppose we could rely on individual quality in the championship under Bruce, but you know, when you're talking about Newcastle and a Premier League club, you could say that they over, um, you know, overachieved under Benitez. That's not going to be the same sort of thing that's going to be able to happen at, at this sort of level, is it? No, I mean, we can't. It's, it's just it's very unsustainable to rely on the Steve Bruce style of play. And I think that they're doomed now. I, I think that I think that Steve Bruce has, you know, consigned this team to the championship perhaps a few seasons earlier than what was originally anticipated because they had Benitez, who carried that championship side for God mm. God knows a couple of seasons. But those days are over now. They've got they've got Bruce, they've got Ashley. They're playing the players a championship standard. The mood, the ethos and the atmosphere around the club is diabolical. 
And it reminds me of 2015-16. It's going to be the same thing. They're going to go straight down. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I mean, I, I still don't get this whole Benitez um, loving of the Newcastle fans. It's something that I've discussed with them from time to time. Is I do recall uh, our last home game of the 2015-16 season, and Newcastle were uh, just above the relegation zone. I, I can't remember if it was on goal difference or something, and uh, they really needed a result. Obviously, we were long gone, and uh, it was nil-nil. And Benitez went with one up top. And he didn't change it. The reason why I recall this game so well is because actually um, I brought my Newcastle supporting friend with me because uh, I had two season tickets and I brought him with me. And up until the 70th minute, he didn't change it. You know, you're thinking no. you need a result here. You, you know, I don't understand the loving that they had for uh, for Benitez too much. Yeah, I mean, it was one tactical decision, isn't it? It's an important one at the wrong time. But this man's won Champions League at the end of the day. Mm. Liverpool fans still remember him very fondly, and I don't, and I don't think that really you can compare that to <laughs> Steve Bruce. Like, come on, this is old potato head we're talking about here, as he used to be called by our Royals fans. I yeah, don't know. Bruce yeah. at this point now, it's quite <laughs> pathetic, I find, because he's just, uh... he's like the puppet for Mike Ashley, isn't he? Well, that's the thing is, is you would arguably say that he is being used as a scapegoat by Mike Ashley, and I've got, to be, I've got to be honest. I did say this to uh, to my friend who's a Newcastle fan. I said, look, you know, regardless of what happens this season, because I said you are going down, is I just I can't see Mike Ashley sacking Bruce because it just deflects that attention so well. No, it's like Andy Carroll. I think Andy Carroll's signing was a PR stunt. Oh, there's going to be a few thousand missing at the first game of the season. What do we do? Bring a boyhood hero back. Done it, and 500, skip the game or something. It, it, the protest fell apart. Their PR masters, they span it perfectly. <laughs> and Ashley is hiding behind Bruce. Mismanagement from him and others at a senior level have infected the playing staff and the players. I'm not a fan mm. of Bruce. I pity him having to work with Mike Ashley, though. Having to yeah. be the puppet, having to take all of the flack, when really it's Ashley who's the... He's one of the problems, Bruce, but he's not the biggest problem. Ashley's a bigger problem. It's just a shame. What well, sorry state that Newcastle find themselves in. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a strange rivalry as well. I know, I know, we're laughing at Newcastle, but Newcastle are a are a, are a big club, and as you say, mm. I wouldn't wish it on on anyone. They're and, very dedicated you know, fans as well. Oh, I mean, fans. football's football's life and life or death, isn't it, for, for yeah. Newcastle fans? And you have to say, is is Newcastle are a Premier League club that's been wholly mismanaged? And you know, I, I, as for, for this rivalry that we have with them, following on from the, you know, when we when we uh, when we relegated them when Shearer was at the helm, is I, I do feel I do feel really sorry for them. Going on to relegation candidates, I think we both agree that Newcastle are primed for the drop. Um, I think we, we said it before, ball was kicked really. Um, but who else fits the bill now? Obviously, despite the summer spend of ourselves, um, you know, would you say if if you were offered seventeenth, would the majority of Villa fans snap snap my hand off? Would you? I mean, I don't think the majority of Villa fans would anymore. I think there's a lot of optimism around. I probably would. I recognise the lack of ambition in saying that, but at the same time, I just think we have to play it patient and play long-term. The first season in the Premier League, after coming back, is staying in the league, securing your sky money, keeping everything consistent and developing your squad for the following campaign. Mm. I firmly believe, and I say this confidently, if we finish 17th this season or the like, you know, we just avoid the drop, the season after, with some smart transfer business taken into account, more squad gelling, we'll jump up about 10 places. We'll be instant to top half. 
I think it's about patience, something I think we need as a fan base. There's obviously no disrespect to any fans who were not set up for 17th. It's respectable, but I just think if we get through this season, just stay up, just focus on that, then, then the season after, we can propel ourselves to completely new heights. But do you think there, there might be a small, um, not-so-practical-thinking part of the fan base, um, you know, where they kind of... Say, say for example, we came to, to March, April, uh, you know, the latter stage of the season, and we're 15th and we're only, you know, two or three points clear of the relegation zone or something. You know, could you see a few fans turning or, or do you think most, most people are pragmatic enough to understand, you know, where, where we are and where we should be um, right now? I think there will always be different cliques amongst our fan base, some of whom will be blindly optimistic, some of whom will be blindly pessimistic. I think that there are, there are some who, whatever we do, we're not good enough. Like, I, I think that, you know, there's going to be some fans who turn, but I don't think the majority will turn. I think the majority will stay behind the team until it's dying breath. Yeah. I, I, I think that the majority of fans would agree when I say this. If we go down, I still want Dean Smith as my manager. I don't want the owners to go. I don't, I don't want any change at the top level of the club. I just want us to improve change some things, change some of the players, change some of the systems, perhaps. Nothing too major. I mean, we, we are sounding very much like uh, two uh, half uh, glasses half full types of guys. Uh, very pessimistic here. That's half uh, empty, you mean. Uh, sorry, half empty. Um, yeah, we are sounding extremely, extremely pessimistic here, but we're not intentionally coming across like that. We're just discussing possible narratives uh, here. It's not like, we're, you know, we're, we're doomed or anything like that. Talking I'll about... Oh, yeah, no, I, I, 100% is I have every confidence that we will stay up. And what I would like to see in January, in fact, um, you know, obviously, I think things will obviously be looked at closer to January. I'd still like to see us bring in, you know, another forward. Yeah, um, at you know, least, to, I'd, I'd say another winger, another striker. Might be. Yeah, to, to help with that. Now, looking at other relegation candidates, um, obviously, Crystal Palace pulled off a shock result at Old Trafford, uh, beating Man United 2-1. Um, and, and to me, is having watched them for the first two games of the season where they created uh, absolutely naff all, is I thought they would be in trouble. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that they're, they're obviously not going to be just based on that one shock result. But who else? Uh, would you put Palace down there? And who else do you think is going to struggle this season? Well, we've got Palace. Um, obviously, I think that was a fluke against United. United are prone to a mishap under Outlaw. So I think it's a total fluke, that victory. I think Hodgson's done a great job at Crystal Palace, really. I think he's improved them. You know, a lot of the fans, I think a lot of their fans would agree with when I say that. But I think without the backing of Steve Parrish, I think he was the owner and the board, with, without that backing in the market to replace Wan-Bissaka and significantly strengthen the overall squad over the summer, I think it's just going to be a really tough battle for survival for Palace. I think Watford are dark horses, actually, I think, because... They've started really poorly. I don't think Troy Dean and Andre got offer enough goals as a striking pair either. I think if they lo- if they're to get rid of Gracia early doors, probably before Christmas actually, then they might avoid the drop. But Brighton could well be in there despite a bright start. Sheffield United, I don't think their transferability was that good. Palace, as I said, Burnley maybe because they just keep trotting along. I mean, Jay Rodriguez and Eric Peters isn't exactly ambitious transfer business, let's be honest. <laughs> so I don't know. I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be down there, and obviously. The last one is, that's not to mention, is of course 20th and at the best 19th Newcastle United. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, it's, it's a strange one with Watford is, you know, I, 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 I mentioned before is obviously I put two Watford defenders in my fantasy team thinking, you know, they had a, a relatively nice start to the season and they wouldn't concede too much. But they just seem to be 
not at the races. I don't know whether that, that FA Cup run and obviously they got maulered, didn't they, in the uh, yeah. in the final against Manchester. I don't know whether that's had anything to do with it, and they're just you know really down in the dumps. And uh, but they're just they're just not playing football. I don't know what's up with them at the minute. I think something must have happened in the summer. It must be something going on internally. I just you can't have a team that's gone from like, I think they finished eighth last season and just snap and look diabolical at the start of the season. I don't know if something's happening. There's got to be something happening behind the scenes. There's something fishy going on, isn't there? Surely. Yeah, very, very peculiar. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, obviously, we're, we're talking uh, very hype. Uh, we're talking a lot of hypothesis here, as in, you know, just, just from the early runnings. I think Sheffield United are obviously going to be very heavily reliant upon their home form. Um, talking about the, uh, obviously, Norwich ran Chelsea close. And uh, Chelsea have obviously struggled at the start of the season. Now, um, you know, at the start of the season, you know, I said Tottenham was a, you know, as, as, as a clear member of the top six, that was a free hit. And, you know, I basically said that any game against the top six was a free hit. But you would arguably say that, you know, with two clubs like Chelsea and our, uh, Manchester United and arguably you could put Arsenal in in there in trans uh, they are clubs in transition. Do you think that there might be a few results that kind of teams go, coming up against them where you think, hang on a minute, you know, they're still winnable games. I think Chelsea are going to finish sixth, United fifth and Arsenal fourth. I think Arsenal have invested well in the transfer business, but in terms of upset potential, Chelsea are prime upset potential. They've got a lot of youth players coming through to supplement, the, you know, they've lost their be- the best player in the league, Eden Hazard. He's gone. What are you going to do without him? United, I still never rated and never will, sorry. Um, and Arsenal... They're still prone to a mishap. Obviously, Burnley, I think it recently was, you know, it could have gone either way, that game. So, I'm yeah, with that, I think, I think that the, that this because because of because of that and that as you say there are going to be a few shock results and I think you know you, you look at the first opening few weeks of the season and, and teams taking points off one another is I I genuinely think that this could be one of those seasons where you know you have to score um, you know quite significant points perhaps even more than 40 to stay up. I, yeah, I think. It's, there's a lot of decent teams who will have to go down this season at the end of the day. So it's, it's a very strong league this season, I think. Mm. I think uh, if you look I, at the promoted sides who have come up, you've got Aston Villa, we spent 120 million, we're good. Norwich have got a very good system and a very good manager. Sheffield United have got a very good manager, but very poor players, fair enough. Um, you've got going down, replacing Cardiff, who were awful, sorry. <laughs> Fulham, yeah. who didn't gel. And Huddersfield, who just offered nothing. So I think we've got an improved league from last season. No, I, I would I would agree with that. Now, um, Carabao Cup, Villa are next in action on Tuesday night at Crewe. Uh, now, are you expecting to see Dino ring the changes? And where does a good cup run list in terms of the level of priorities? Now, um, if we were to push forward in, in this competition or, or even the FA Cup um, and get to the last 16 or the last eight, is that when it you start thinking, hang on a minute, we've, we've got half a chance here. Would, would that be when you switch, maybe go to full strength? Um, what's your thoughts on, on, on the cup games? I think for the sake of pride as a, as a Premier League club and player confidence individually, we have to go out and beat teams like Crew. It's, it's, it's a requirement. We can't lose to Luton and Peterborough like we've done in recent years. We have to go out and get results and do, do us proud. Fans are tired of seeing Villa humiliated in the cup like it wasn't a Bruce. I think the best part about the cup is, you know, we have to get these fringe players in, like Marvellous Nakamba, who everyone wants to see. I think he's going to be important for this season. Matt Target needs a bit of match sharpness because I want to see him in the first team 
Ezra Concer, what can he offer? Can he is he good enough to break up the Mingles partnership? I don't know. I, think I was could... expecting. I was expecting to be honest, Concer to start the season ahead no. of Ben. Yeah. I, I, well, that was me. Is based on from. I guess I'd seen more of Concer obviously than I had of Engels, and I and to me, he looks like a really good player. Yeah, Ezri Concer's an amazing talent, but I just thought with Engels, he's twenty-four. He's not going to come here to sit on the bench straight away. Concer's younger. He's got time on his side. And about about the priority thing you asked me, it's about if we reach the round of sixteen, maybe then you can start, you know, inserting more and more first team players in there because a cup victory would be huge for the club. But there's no point throwing all the, you know, the pigeons amongst the cats unless it's a feasible policy. Cats among the pigeon unless it's a feasible possibility to actually get the get the cup done. The league matters more, and that's the same with the FA Cup. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's clearly going to be where we're going to be playing uh, a lot of the fringe players. Obviously, I I suspect Jed Steer will start in goal, and say some of these fringe players will come in, and basically it'll be an opportunity for them to kind of go, you know. Look at me. Have, have a little look at me. You know, I could I can play in this Premier League, uh, Premier League eleven. Um, so yeah, no. Um, obviously, after that we go to Palace. Now, how big a game is that? I, I don't want to dress it up. We are four games into the season, but Palace to me represents a really good opportunity for us to get three points on the board against you know a side that I think and I think we both agree will be struggling come the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, Dean, Dean Smith was talking about how important home form is, but at the same time, nicking the odd away, away win against your rivals is huge. So I think after the confidence of Everton at home, Palace away, not a must-win, but it's an important game, and I do think we're going to go out there and win it. I think that after the confidence of the win, we'll be able to ride it through. Palace won't be able to repeat the fluke. I think Mings and Engels will counter their attack of Zaha solidly, and then it's just a case of us breaking them down. So... Maybe I mean, Target when, will prove himself in midweek and he'll start, who knows? Possibly. I mean, when when when, when we talk about Palace, it's strange. It's strange because I, I almost think that when they have the ball, is they're just not very good with it in, in no. terms of, you know, um, you know shifting it from defence through to attack. But for some reason, I know they had that shock result at Old Trafford. For some reason, when they have less of the ball and playing a, a counter-attacking game, which you don't suspect that they will, obviously, at home to Villa, is they seem to be a lot better at doing that. And you saw some shock results last season with them doing that. Yeah, I mean, Crystal Palace is a bit of an enigma, obviously, with their style of play. I just how they're not very good on the ball and because we're a very good team on the ball you'd think that surely that will counter us very well or sorry we'll counter them well yeah. but I'm going to make a prediction for Palace now I'm going to put my neck on the line Milivojevic is that how you pronounce it the number four yeah I, yeah the, something the like that yeah, yeah, I, yeah I gave it my best go he'll get sent <laughs> off he will get sent off he'll get sent off yeah fair 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 I mean uh, you should put money on that. I'm sure you'll get quite good odds. Uh, he is a tenacious player, to be fair. I think he did pick I mean, up a few. Yeah, have, he did pick up a few yellow cards. We'll have to it. ask our uh, fans over at Fans if they can get us odds on that. Minivoyevich getting sent off. <laughs> I will. I will do my best, and I'll make sure that that goes into the uh, to the betting preview ahead of ahead of the Palace game. Um, now. Um, predictions. Okay, so before we wrap up, let's go for predictions for the Crew game. Uh, what do you predict for the Crew game then? Three now, routine victory. El Ghazi's going to score. He's feeling quite on confidence. Hoping okay, Davis will notch a goal as well. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with 3-1, I think. Um, you know, crew maybe to score from a set piece. And for Palace, um, you've already said uh, Milivojevic uh, to be sent off. I think that is, yeah. uh, is how, you, how you say it, how you pronounce it. Uh, you've already said sending off. Um, what's your score prediction? It's a difficult one away from home. I'll say we'll nick it 1-0. One nil. Yeah, I, I fancy a, a little sneaky one nil. Um, we'll take it. You know, six points at this stage would be absolutely brilliant. Now, uh, once again, I'd like to thank Dom for joining me today. Our next podcast uh, will be after the trip to Crystal Palace, and so uh, there'll be plenty to talk about. Obviously, that and the Carabao Cup. Now, here's to two Villa victories in the next week before the international break. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Unfortunately, it's the time of the show where we need to wrap things up. However, uh, we will be back next week to discuss all the main topics surrounding Aston Villa Football Club. All of us at Heart of the Holt would really appreciate any feedback. And if you enjoyed the pod, it would be great if you could share it or forward it on to a fellow villain. Thank you for listening and up the villa.